1: It occurred to me I was running earlier today, and I thought we've John and I have known each other for a long time, but it's noteworthy that we're very good and affectionate friends uh, for lifelong St. Louis Cardinals and Chicago Cubs fan. True,
2: I have supported your team uh, and uh, supported my own team. I'm a I'm a fan. I'm just a fan in general.
3: And we support your team. And on that note, I'd like to welcome our dear listeners to another episode of your favorite podcast, "In Bed with Nick and Megan," starring the luminous Nick Offerman.
1: Good evening.
3: Featuring his poor downtrodden bride, Megan Mullally, <laughs> and today, extra super specially, guesting John Ham. Hammy ham hey. buns.
2: Hi, guys.
3: Hello. Hi, Johnny. Quarantine
2: Hello. podcast.
3: One of our favorite people.
1: Welcome to our dining room via our laptop.
2: Thank you. Welcome to my office via my laptop. You can see <laughs> my mural in the background through the Venetian blinds, it's as well group- as featuring a, a a bat signed by Stan Musial and a bass signed by Stan Musial in my little St. Louis Cardinals that's pretty much. Oh That's
3: impressive. And I yeah, would say it. I would say that I mean I think I speak for everyone. One of the very worst parts of quarantine is not being able to get one of John Hamm's patented hugs. ham hug. Ham hug. Because they're really very medicinal.
2: I like Nick Offerman. Uh I'm a very tactile human and uh we are very good at hugging both mm-hmm. You're a man and I. And when it, uh, when, it, uh, co- when it combines, then it's a double excellent hug.
3: It really is.
2: It's solid, yeah. It
3: really is. I've been the lucky recipient of one or two of those, I think. Um, you know what's so um, cool is that I, I didn't really realize how funny you are until you came in to do an episode of Children's Hospital and I was like, oh, wait, right, he's really funny. <laughs> was and that like, the one we did in one friend. take? Yes, uh-huh, and um, Malin Ackerman rips her face off and it's you.
2: <laughs>
3: she's She's been you the whole time.
2: Which, by the way, kept coming back. I thought it was just going to be like a one-off thing, but it kind of kept referring to oh, the constantly. fact that I'm in a Malin Ackerman mask, the hold, t- that's like <laughs> canon for the... Series, and
3: I think you were just as yourself. She'd been John Hamill. Oh no, you were Doctor.
2: I was Derek Childrens.
3: Childrens, yeah.
2: Oh Oh my gosh, it's so so it's so incredibly ridiculous. That show, by the way, kudos to you for being on it so many times, both of you. But was one of my favorite things to work on because David and the whole creative team on that thing they. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of time, but they just solved all of their problems so creatively.
3: Yeah, that was such a fun show to do.
2: It was so ambitious. I mean, it's you know when they lost their set, then the the whole thing was like, oh, now we're in Brazil or whatever yes. the thing that they kept having to say, like because we're in Brazil, that's where yeah. we are. Yeah, in so Brazil. it was
3: David David Wayne, Rob Corddry, and Jonathan Stern were the main like original. Uh, producers <laughs> and i guess rob cordry created it or maybe rob and david i don't know i but think rob did because it was rob like
2: did. a it was like an online thing wasn't it like in the yeah, early Corddry, days of the internet
1: cordry sent us those scripts when yeah. we were still in new york
3: yeah so because i was a i was actually a regular on it strangely enough and we did seven seasons and the first two seasons i think were just online and then adult swim picked it up and we did it and you know, like 11 minute episodes so we would shoot two episodes a week we would shoot about 14 episodes so we'd shoot for like seven weeks and do the whole season it was so fun
2: it was so fun to be a part of and like everybody top to bottom on that cast too it's just it's it's just so wildly funny and ambitious and like proves the point of you get talented people in the room you get people that are funny and you just let them go and and uh, give them a lot of leash and and it was I, I, I don't know if you've How'd been watching you know me- those... Medical Police. Did you, oh, have yeah. you guys watch any of that? It's on Netflix now.
3: No, we haven't seen it yet. It's
2: very similar in tone. Uh, but Hubel and um, Aaron are the main people. It's oh, wildly funny.
3: Everybody's so good. Yeah. Rob Corddry, Rob Hubel, Ken Marino, Aaron Hayes, Lake like... Bell, Malin Ackerman.
2: Michael Sarah is the voice of the. Oh, yeah, Michael Cera. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, so good. Um, so uh, how did you originally know all those people?
2: I knew David, Wayne, Mike uh, Black, and Mike Showalter f- from the Stella days. Like, that's oh, when I first wow. started meeting those guys. Oh, Ooh. angle change. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah. So I met them through Paul Rudd. I had, I had watched them, all those guys on The State, when mm-hmm. it was on uh, M- uh, MTV,
3: Ken He uh, was in the state.
2: Right? Mm-hmm. Ken, Ken, David, Joe Latrulio, Michael mm-hmm. and Michael, Carrie uh All these, all these guys, great people, kind of came out of the state. And uh, then, then when David, Michael, and Michael were doing Stella, I was kind of bopping around New York and would catch those shows. They were very like hipster at the Fez or something, you know, downtown. Um, and I was introduced to those guys through Paul Rudd, who I've known since I was a little young man back in the Midwest. So that's how I got to know those guys. And, you know, I was just plugging away, trying to get jobs. And I think I was working on like a lifetime show at the time. Hmm. And then eventually, you know, David, David is so prolific that he would constantly have like weird little things to do. And, Hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I'm like, man, sure. I got nothing else better to do. Beats like, my day job which is like working on a procedural on lifetime
3: yeah <laughs> well you're so you're so funny how many times have you hosted SNL
2: I've hosted Saturday Night Live thrice
3: oh. three
2: times actually I think twice in the same calendar year but I think three times in two years so yeah so I was uh, I hosted it three times but I've I've been fortunate enough to be back and Do some cold opens and some desk pieces and some other stuff, so.
3: That's cool. Well, even though, you know, I've seen every episode of Mad Men and, you know, seen, I think we've seen pretty much everything you've done uh, in the last, I don't know, however many years. I I just, because we know you, I don't really think of you as being particularly like a global sensation you know just because we know you but we went to a baseball game with you at Dodger Stadium one time it was Nick's birthday actually a couple years ago yeah Cubs Dodgers
2: right yeah Yeah. and
3: I mean that whole freaking stadium was about to explode over the fact that you were there that'll
1: probably be one of the greatest like memories of my life because we went for my birthday and we were kissing. We were having a great time. Javi Baez. You, was wait, it, was who it?
3: was kissing now is what we need to you establish. You and I okay. y- were kissing. Because there's three people here right now. We were
1: having a nice kissing moment. Okay. And Javi cracks a home run while we're kissing. <laughs> and we come out of it. The crowd's going crazy. And John Hamm says, that was a fucking grand slam. and I was like this is a
2: great birthday
1: (laughs) such a great birthday
3: Uh, that was was a very
2: fun night and thank you again for inviting me along I'll happily be your third wheel
3: but that was kind of interesting because you know I didn't I hadn't really thought about it but then I realized that you know you can't really get up and walk around at a baseball game because you'd get besieged whereas we can you know a little bit different. Yeah,
1: you're a Christopher Reeves.
3: Um I want to talk about your career as a chick magnet. Um, just because I want to understand how that is. now I have to ask
1: you to clarify who you're talking oh, to.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking to you. Of course, my dear. But since John is while. here as our guest, I'll throw it to him too. Okay, sure. John, you first. Um <laughs> so just like <laughs> I mean, it's gonna get awkward sometimes when I'm sure that I mean, I'm not really even talking about I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about just people that you know or just any people you run into or I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of women who make overtures to you, and it's a it's a burden is what I'm gonna say
2: well, I'll say this it's it's a weird thing when people are. There And I'm sure you both have versions of this, but people have this sense of uh, entitlement and a sense of that they know you because they've seen you on their screens or they've they've seen you for doing whatever TV show that they like and they identify with it. And so therefore they feel like, oh, there's a connection uh, that really isn't there, but they, mm-hmm. it feels very real to them, and so then when like the, the people see you in person, there's a lot of inappropriate social boundary crossing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, And so it's a very weird, it's a very weird thing. And I don't think, I, I think the vast majority of that is unintentionally awkward. I don't think people are doing it to be terrible people. I think they're just overcome with uh, whatever that thing is. And I've certainly had it too. Of people, like I remember the first time i got to meet jeff bridges he had just won the academy award for uh, true grit and he's been my favorite actor i think since i saw him in the last picture show like i just mm. uh he was always my favorite guy and i i had that thing of like i was sort of thrust into a conversation with him he's holding an academy award and I couldn't, I couldn't put words. I, eventually I had to just say like, I just wanted to say congratulations and thanks. And I had to walk away because I couldn't formulate the 400 things that I wanted to say all at once. Yeah. So I was literally just But you just didn't like,
3: grab his dick. I mean, there's a I did not.
2: Uh, I did not. Uh, I grabbed his Oscar and then ran away. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he is the best though. And I, I totally know you I've had that happen with a couple of, you know, a few people actually. And it's, it's a terrible feeling, but it does happen. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of beyond your control. You know, I mean, I met Steven Sondheim once and I was rendered
2: speechless. S- yeah. you just, mo- you can't, yeah. you can't say all the things that you want to say and you, and you realize like, Oh, that's that guy's deal every day. Like how many people yeah. come up to Steven Sondheim and are like, Oh <laughs>
3: Yeah. I mean how many people come up to Steven and Sondheim and are just like, Hey, oh Steven you know, and just are totally normal. Like no, exactly. none.
2: By the <laughs> way, did you see did you see the uh documentary now uh episode that they did the Sondheim parody?
3: I don't think I saw that one. I saw oh, a lot Do of them
2: yourself now. a favor. It's uh you <laughs> know, they did that that documentary years ago where they followed the cast of company.
3: Oh. Um yeah with Elaine Stritch yeah.
2: With Elaine Stritch and so they do <laughs> uh Melanie wrote this fictional musical called Co-op and um John it, like ri- Richard Kind plays the doorman in the Co-op <laughs> and Paula <laughs> Pell plays like the Elaine Stritch character.
3: Oh my um, god.
2: Oh my God. It's so funny and so specific. And I was, I was talking to somebody. I'm like, this is for such a hyper targeted audience of people that have, that are either musical theater people (laughs) or fans or whatever, but that have also seen that specific documentary and get all of the other things. And the rest of the world is like, what is this? (laughs)
3: Yes, totally. You know, I, my very first, um, audition for a television show was a show called the ellen burston show and i got it which is insane and this was in 1985 and um so and it shot in new york so we did 13 episodes and ellen burston played my mother and elaine stritch played my grandmother Whoa! Yeah, so I got to work with her and and Ellen, who's incredible, and Nick's actually gotten to work with Ellen too. And
2: And Nick and I worked on the same movie with
3: Ellen. Oh, right. right. But Elaine and I got to be really good friends, and so I, I currently have two books. I have one autobiography of her, and and then her another book that she wrote that I. I'm gonna read, but I don't know. I just really, honestly, like there are so few people like that who are truly one of a kind. Who you just—they're impossible to describe to other people. And she was one of them. And um,
2: she, she knew Cole Porter.
3: Yeah, she <laughs> like, she worked. With who Cole knows Porter. Cole
2: Porter? Like,
3: yeah, she worked with uh, with Noel Coward. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's and bonkers. Brando and. But yes, a Brando uh tried to date her. But anyway, she she's just she was just so funny and amazing and really the most exciting performer of music that I ever saw live. I mean, she was just electric. It was the when she did her show Elaine Stritch at Liberty on Broadway, so that was probably I saw it. fifteen years ago, yeah. Um, it was so incredible. But Nick had never heard of Elaine, he didn't know anything about her, and so I wouldn't say I had to drag him there kicking and screaming but I had to drag him there like it's a tough sell. I could see that. Yeah, it was a little sell. bit of a tough sell. And so there we are and we're in house seats and you know the lights go up and Nick's kind of squirmy and heavily sighing and looking at his watch and I mean <laughs> she walked out on stage you know with that white shirt on and no Black pants yeah. and the heels and Nick just sat bolt upright in his seat. And this big smile spread across his face and stayed there for the rest of the show. And he was a complete convert by the end. I mean, she would just can't. You can't, so you can't not. I mean, she's
2: so incredibly compelling and so fascinating. And her stories and her life and what she's gone through and her losses and all the other... You're just like, what a life. Yeah.
3: You know? and, and, and dear listener, if... Uh, if you watched 30 Rock, and you're not familiar with who Elaine Stritch is, if you watched 30 Rock, she played Alec Baldwin's mother. Um, she won an Emmy. I mean, she she was on many episodes. Deservedly she was so. The... She was
2: very funny on 30 yeah, Rock. Yeah, oh, she God. was
3: so great on that show.
2: Did you ever see the other one that's kind of like that, but uh, with Carrie Fisher's one-woman show?
1: Yes. We saw that we saw live early on. at the Geffen. Yeah. I yeah.
2: saw it at the Geffen, too. And Now I'm thinking maybe... We were at the same show, but I, I'm not sure because drinking.
3: Oh, we must have been drinking. Backstage. I
2: was sat next to Mike Nichols.
3: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: I was just like, "What is going on? Wow, like, this is that's crazy! Incredible!
3: That's, that's so cool." Well, um, wait a minute. I want to backtrack a little bit because um, Nikki Poo has a good. A couple of good Jeff Bridges uh, yeah, hit
2: me.
3: boyfriend incidents. Well, well we worked
2: we, on, Nick and I worked on a movie with Jeff Bridges too.
3: Oh yeah. Men Who Start Goats.
1: No, uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh. One, hmm. one of the, so so. John Hamm and I met in 1998, I believe, working on a film called The Early Bird Special, which I don't bl- think ever came out Uh
2: I don't, the, if it did, it came out in a very, very limited way.
1: The executive producer and the director ended up in a squabble. And I think the executive producer came off as the bad guy. He didn't like the the director's cut, but the director, a uh, really nice guy named Mark Jean, he had final cut. And the executive producer was like, hey, I don't like your cut. Make these changes. And the director said, no, I have final cut. I'm leaving it. And the executive producer said, okay, then I'm putting it on the shelf in my closet. Oh, Christ! If you're going to be wow. that way. And so the movie never came Jeez. out and all these people, you know, all who did all this work. Yeah. Um, but we met on that, uh, it, John was cast in the role. I'll never forget it. Uh, of redheaded cop.
3: <laughs> <laughs> redheaded cop. Red-headed,
2: redheaded cop. It was, no, I was not. Nor did I dye my hair. Nor was I asked to. He's that good. I'm that good. I was able to emote believed, red hair. Your
3: red hair. Yeah.
2: Uh, the movie was written by a woman named Hillary Seitz, who was went to college with my ex, my girlfriend at the time, my ex now, uh, back at Yale many moons ago, and is now a very, very successful, famous uh, screenwriter. Uh, but this was her first published. Uh, a produced screenplay and it was Nick Max Perlick uh I had one line in it that's how I got my sad card uh and uh and yeah and then and then cut to I don't know eight years later I think we saw each other again yeah on on some something or other and I was like hey I know you and for yeah. the record,
1: I remember the, the scene that we shot was in Silver Lake at the Astro family restaurant. And I actually lived right up the hill from there. So it was all very momentous for me. And I met John and we, we immediately hit it off as fellow Midwesterners. Uh, and I said, I remember saying to him, just stu- stood back and looked at him and I said, why the fuck aren't you somewhere playing
3: Superman? <laughs> cut and you. and he
1: shrugged I, like, yeah, I, don't, I don't get it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I asked myself that same question,
2: but so I lived the, right down the street too i was I lived on maltman and sunset in uh silver lake in the old in the old days when it was no, no way very oh, wow. different uh neighborhood than it is now yeah.
1: I lived the um basement that I was living in when I met Megan was <laughs>
3: he was living in uh, somebody's ba- unfinished basement just up. had a dirt floor so if he had to pee just go over in the corner
1: there was this great big old craftsman like at the top of the first hill on Maltman up off sunset up the hill from Millie's mm-hmm.
2: that and was, it was the block a, I lived on
1: it was an unfinished dirt basement uh
2: wait you lived on that well on that it, street
1: yeah the the um the this married couple named Jason and Alicia, um, who ran the theater, they owned the building in which our theater company started, in which Megan and I, where we met in the year two thousand. I read your book. So they were, <laughs> so they were putting us up. Um, they were putting me up in their basement in exchange for like being a carpenter at the theater. I
2: think my friend Mike Uppendahl. Who
1: was a director on Mad Men, bought that house. Oh wow. It's a it's a beautiful it is, house.
2: It is no longer unfinished, but I lived down the block, about halfway down the block from that house, on the other side of the street, in a green and green nineteen nineteen craftsman oh, wow. that was absolutely beautiful, but falling apart. But it was owned by a woman who at that point was in her late eighties and lived in Manhattan Plaza in New York. And this was her, like, family house that she grew up in. She was a soap opera actress on, like, The Guiding Light forever. Oh, wow. And um, so she would come into town two weeks out of the year, and me and three other guys lived in this house. Crazy. And it was, uh, it was you know, it was the only affordable place I could find in L.A. And then it turned out to be like, oh, it's like, this is where all the cool kids are. Like, Silver Lake's where it's at. Like, mm, you go to yeah. the, what's that, what was that place? Uh, space Land and... Yeah, all the all the hipster restaurants and stuff, Millie's.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: great. it was a it was a it was a Tall Cotton. To living in Tall Cotton was silver like in the nineties.
1: I worked on this movie, The Men Who Stared Goats, with Jeff, and I was basically
3: uh, there
1: was this platoon of psychic soldiers. It's based on.
2: This I actually pretty, read that book. Yeah,
1: it's a great. John. <laughs> the Ronson
3: book's amazing. Book, yeah, mm, he's and, so good. John Ronson is the best.
1: And and Clooney uh, and Grant Heslov were making this film. Clooney was the lead. Grant was directing it. And Jeff played like the the sort of guru general uh, of the, of the psychic soldiers. And they needed you know twelve or sixteen young privates. And me and uh, one other guy were the got cast as like the guys who had like five lines each. Yeah, but, but you had to do all these different scenes. because
2: And you were around the whole run of right. the movie, but you only had five lines. That was exactly. my first movie, too.
1: Mm-hmm. And for some reason, uh, Jeff, I can't remember where he first took a shine to me. We were shooting a yoga scene on a roof in uh, New Mexico. <laughs> we, shot, we shot around Roswell, and then we shot some stuff in Puerto Rico. And we were on a roof doing this yoga scene. And actually, no, we had had... There was one scene that was me, Jeff Clooney, and Kevin Spacey, and and I had this just this little bit uh, where I'm supposed to look at a box, a closed box, and and say what's in it. It's like they're testing us for our psychic abilities, and I was wearing these like '80s, you know, sort of plumber glasses, and I'm staring at this box. And then I took the glasses off and kind of slightly crossed my eyes. And then I was able to see what was in the box. And uh, f- from that day, Jeff took some kind of shine to me. So we were doing this yoga scene on a roof. And he was, had his uh, iPod. This is early aughts. And he had his headphones. And he said, hey, hey Nick, do you know uh, Eckhart Tola? And I was like, uh, thanks to Megan, I did and I was like, uh, yeah, new Earth or uh <laughs> or what's the other one? Uh, this is uh, the power of, power now. of now power, of now. new Earth or power of now And he's like, oh, power now, man <clears throat> and and he gives me one of the buds, and they're still wired, you know this is yeah long ago enough. So I'm standing there sharing earbuds with fucking <laughs> Jeff, listening to Eckhart Tola <laughs> and clooney and and we're You know, everything's, everybody's running around like we're getting ready to shoot this yoga scene with like 18, 20 people in it. And George, you know, George is the producer of the movie and he's also the lead. So he can't be as much of a smart ass as usual. And so he was, he was uh, demonstrably producing where he's like, okay, guys, come on. You know, he he was team captaining uh, very successfully. And I'm just, I'm totally this freshman actor standing there with Jeff and Clooney's like, "All right, guys. Come on. Ready to go. Ready to roll." And it everybody's in place except me and Jeff are standing there <laughs>
3: listening to the two
1: kids at the back of the bus. And I'm so torn cuz I'm always the good student. Like I'm always right. the one who wants to to make the A.D.'s life easier. And I was, and it, it almost broke me. But finally Jeff was like, "Okay, man. We better, we can listen to this later." So <laughs> I don't, I don't understand why, but uh, we became friendly, and then
3: uh, yeah, it's weird because nobody else likes you. I
1: know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I
3: know, it's can't make heads it's or uncanny. tails. It's <laughs> uncanny.
1: But then, I mean, the thing was, you know, then you, several years went by, and then I got Drew Goddard, who wrote and directed Bad Times at the El Royale, got a hold of me. He also co-created The Good Place, so he, I knew him from the circle of of Mike Sure and he basically called and said do you want to come play jeff bridge's brother for 3 days in in you know british columbia and it was, it was it's a little part in fact many people do, don't even realize it's me in the movie it's a it's it's not You're the kind the of mask real, and- Yeah you don't take the part it's not the kind of part you take for the part it's the kind of part you take to spend a week with jeff bridge's in mm-hmm. british columbia and and very gratifyingly, he remembered me. You know, I was like, "Will do? I have to start over
2: from scratch?" But no, he.
3: Oh, he knows a He's good, a beautiful, solid beautiful soul guy when he meets one.
2: That was one of those, you know, meet your heroes moments where you're you, 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 the the opposite of what everyone says happens. Happens. You're just like, oh, this is a truly nice gentle man yeah and he'll talk to you about stuff and it's not just like lip service and he wants to hear your opinion on this that what kind of music you listening to man okay cool all right i'm feeling a little tired i'm gonna go take a nap all right (laughs) cool man take a nap you're jack riches take (laughs) nap,
3: right do it take as long as you want what who are some of your favorite or do you have like favorite actors you've worked with or you know
2: well you know as as you and nick can both probably attest to when you're on a show for a long time you obviously develop incredibly close relationships with all those people so Mm -hmm. like slattery in particular john Mm -hmm. slattery and i are are thickest thieves and fast friends and
3: yeah you guys are so great together
2: yeah i mean it was it was such a you know it it was a long time it was the better part of a decade i think nine years we shot that show and so you you naturally develop like closeness and relationships and then you get to see people do their thing whether it's january or lizzie or christina or vincent like all those guys and and we're all kind of still bonded by that experience
0: you like to watch new stuff right well go to hulu and see what's new because hulu has new stuff all the time With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently. Acapella.edu
1: How old were you, and how did you come to meet Paul Rudd while you are still in the Midwest?
2: I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, um, and Paul spent the majority of his growing up in just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I think he is in like Overland Park or Olathe or one of the Kansas suburbs of, of, of Kansas City, Missouri. And he is a couple years older than me, believe it or not, and went to graduated high school, went to KU in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, at the same time, uh, a girl who I used to date in high school and then Became very good family friends with them. The older brother of that family also went to Kansas University in Lawrence, Kansas, where he was randomly assigned a roommate named Paul Rutt. So Paul would come home with my friend Preston for Thanksgiving, for whatever holiday, for long weekends to like hang out in St. Louis. And we would, I would be over at the house because I was dating the girl or whatever, just like. It was something to do, and we'd play like Trivial Pursuit, and it was just something that was that was her older brother's friend from college.
1: How crazy! And so
2: yeah, and that was when I was seventeen or eighteen years old. uh, Seventeen, I think, because they would have been freshmen. And um, and yeah, it was funny. I was talking with Paul the other day. We were on a on a Zoom, and uh, you know, it's like we've known each other for forty years. No, (laughs) thirty. 30 some odd years like it's just crazy and and you go okay uh and we would talk about these like like when i first moved to la he was the only person i knew in la he by that time had uh, dropped out of ku and gone to study acting at the uh, place up in pasadena academy dramatic arts or whatever it's called and he had lived out here for some time and i came out and visited him and at that point our mutual friend Preston had moved out here and he was working for some wanted to be a musician, but he was working for some like consulting company. And I came out on my, my spring break from, from, from Mizzou. And I, I, I came out to visit them, see like, cause I was, I, I was, uh, had an acting, uh, a theater scholarship by that point. So I came out and I was like, well, I want to like, test the water and see what it's like. And it was of course, completely overwhelmed by how huge LA is and like crazy. And, expensive and everything else but that was the first time i came out and met those guys that were living in some box in north hollywood that like i don't even think survived the the earthquake a few years later but uh when i came out here in 1995 paul was literally the only one of the only people i knew especially in the business
1: how and so crazy. I was like,
2: "Dude, I, I I hate being this guy, but you're the only person I know, and I'll only ask you one time. Like, I just need one phone number of a person that can possibly help me, and that's all I'll ask. I won't, I won't, I won't be, you know, up your butt about it." But and he gave me uh, the phone number of his manager, and his manager introduced me to some people at William Morris, and and then uh, and here we are. A short <laughs> four years later, I got my first job.
3: Oh my God! And now, and now you're, you're on. In, Stadium. Now
1: you're in bed with Nick and Megan.
3: <laughs> oh
2: baby! <laughs> the,
1: the pinnacle. If
2: I would have known then what I know now.
1: I love. I love that shit. I um. There's there's this weird. Uh, maybe it's because they do this great uh, benefit for charity every year called the Big Slick in Kansas City. There's Paul Rudd, Eric Stone, Street, Rob Riggle, Riggle. Sudeikis, All and, the KC boys, and Keckner. Dave Kekner. Oh wow. And they they get to, they get people together and they do and it's all um this great charity for like the children's hospital there. Children's hospital, yeah. And um and when I was doing a movie called We're the Millers with Sudeikis, he was telling me about when he was in like high school. Um Dan Harmon was part of a touring comedy group, I think out of Chicago, like an, just a weird improv like road tour. Uh-huh. And and it, it was when improv was catching on and so the um, collegiate age theater people were doing what were called like comedy sports. Right. And it became this thing where like, so Harmon was like a national champion. And so he became this touring pro comedy freak. So Jason was very inspired to go into that art form by seeing Dan Harmon on the road. And for for those that don't know, Dan Harmon created community and Rick and Morty. He's a, he's a comedy genius. (laughs) Um, I, I, I love that. I love those origin stories that predate even.
2: Well, I, I, I remember when I read your book, like it's, it's so funny because we all obviously come from someplace. Those of us who aren't fortunate enough to be born into it or have a famous dad or uncle or, what have you but uh you know there's there's a lot of roads to to get to the the destination and and when I talk to the friends of mine from home they're they're just it's like when I moved to LA it was like I moved to the moon they were just like what how is how are you even in Los Angeles I'm like it's a city it's a town I have a car and a place and a thing and there's stores and max and <laughs> like it's just normal you can it's get food all that <laughs> shit yeah, yeah they have mexican food and <laughs> mcdonald's and everything it's like
3: <laughs> got it all but
2: i i do remember driving into la for the first time and thinking like this city doesn't stop yeah. like i think i was in like west covina or something and then i just didn't see any more trees until it's- i hit like Santa Monica, I was like, yeah. "What is going on? It's gigantic! It's so big!" And it's gigantic. You guys, it's
3: not on a grid, so you. I'm really sure
2: you remember know. like the old school Thomas guide. Oh yeah, oh, But yes. like before the before the era of GPS and cell phones and everything, there was the map, and it was a bound, you know, chunk of paper with a with a spiral binder that you kept in your car in case you got and it lost. Had
3: every you know, coordinate in the city. And I just
2: remember my aunt giving me that, like, here's your map. And I was like, Oh, I'm never going to understand the city. And of course, as you grow up and you realize you're like, Oh, you only need like three pages of that map. Like yeah. it's the same three <laughs> pages that you're always on. Yeah. but
3: yeah.
2: It, You can fully like burn two thirds of it and be fine. <laughs> it's one of those things. Like it's, it's so overwhelming. I think I, I remember some portion of your book, Nick, but like talking about just, putting one foot in front of the other and just kind of keep keep on keeping on uh and then all of a sudden uh, you told a story about when you got Parks and Rec and I remember when I got the first thing I got I think a TV show called Providence which was on NBC on Friday nights and uh, I just remember thinking like oh like sometimes they say yes <laughs> yeah that's you know such may a
3: good I say you're, may I say you're so good about reading people's books? I'm very I much. love
2: especially people that I know, and you guys are or were kind enough to send me copies too. but um i I read, yeah, I love reading my friend's books, like, um, because it's also it's one of those fun things where you're like, "Oh, you think you know somebody fairly well, and then you read their book, you're like, "I had no idea about any of that. That's wildly interesting. Like um, Polars was great, Tina's was great. um I just read Jenny Slate's most recent connection of yeah, uh, collection oh, of little so
3: good. short little stories.
2: Like, yeah, it's great. I mean, I've known she was a really good writer for a long time, but like her Our dad's particular. A- yeah, her dad's a poet. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 always fun to like. And I I have no capacity to write anything much longer than a text or an email. I just get frazzled and i lose my place but um i love that oh
3: you don't write at all
2: no
1: it's funny though because you've told me stories uh in over the years and one thing whenever um i whenever i think about like i'm starting another book shortly and I'm always aware of my strengths and weaknesses, and I think one of my weaknesses is I don't have great recall. I don't have that great writer's eye for detail. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm glad that I'm aware of that, so I don't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't try to uh, turn in my novel anytime soon. But <laughs> I, something that's something I always think about with you is you you've told me stories even like standing around at a party where we've had a few cocktails and and you with complete acuity you're like let me tell you something it's 1977 and you lay out this anecdote (laughs) with all of these great details and i and i always comment and say how do you Uh, how do you retain that stuff and so
3: that's half of it's made up
2: i'll be honest (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, i i I would argue if you ever wanted to, I think I think you could write a great, um, like a, if, I, you could see your way into it, like a book of of uh, just essays of sporting events that you've experienced. I think you could write that. With uh, well, I with have been closed. incredibly
2: lucky. Like that's, those are the kinds of things like in my life that I look back and say like, I've gotten so many opportunities even before i was in showbiz but like when i was a little kid my dad the cardinals made it to the world series for the first time in my recollection of my lifetime in 1982 and interestingly enough they just showed the replay of that world series which i hadn't seen since i saw it in 1982 Wow! they don't replay those things for obvious reasons but i was 11 years old and the Cardinals had always been bad. Like they just were never that good. And then 82 was the first year like, wait, we're in first place in a thing ever. <laughs> what is that about? And I always watched the world series. And it was always like the Yankees or the Dodgers or the, you know, the, the angels or the A's, like whatever the big teams were in the seventies. And it was the world series was always a thing that happened to other places. And St. Louis was this, small town and then that year they went to the world series and I was like we're in the world series like oh my God my head exploded (laughs) and I never ever thought I would get a chance to go to the world series like that was I was happy to watch it on NBC that's going to be great uh then you know Joe Garagiolo will be calling it that's all I need and then I remember one day my dad said I want to talk to you. Come in come into the bedroom for a second. I need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. Never a good sign. Um and he pulled it back the cover on the on the bed and there were tickets to all all the games of the World Series, like four tickets to each oh game of the home gosh. game of the World Series. Then, like in that printed out block, you know, like how they used to be connected to each other.
1: Was your dad I- Keith Hernandez? <laughs> <laughs>
2: He knew somebody, my dad was pretty connected in St. Louis. He, my dad and my grandfather and my great grandfather, uh, had a trucking company anyway, he, he had a lot of connections in in town and I guess he pulled some strings and got some tickets. And I went to the first game, which we lost 10 to one or something like that. And it was heartbreaking. And then over the course of the, the series, it ended up going to seven games. And I went to the seventh game, which we won in comeback fashion. And I just remember being an eleven year old kid and not knowing what to do with my body like this, <laughs> the cool in the gangs celebration was the theme song. it was on every radio station twenty four hours a day, and people were singing in the streets and i i i I just i don't think I've ever been happier.
3: How are you doing this year with no baseball and no sports?
2: I mean it's weird it is what it is again, here we are it's, it's just a new normal for now and weirdly enough I'm like friends with some ex-ball players and hockey players and ex-hockey players and I'm like how you what are you doing like and all those guys do is 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 their sport and their window for for performance is so narrow and to like lose a whole year of that is uh, devastating you know and yeah. you just you know everybody's got a story of how this particular insanity has affected them and and no one's is any better or any worse Mm -hmm. they're all super difficult but you know um again i wake up every day and i'm just thankful that you know i have a house and a you know a place to to stay and the people that i care about are are taken care of and you know it is it's easy enough to lose sight of that but uh then i get to talk to like cool friends like you guys
3: oh johnny hambones You really are the best. Um, Does anybody else call you Johnny Hambones, or is it just me? I think it's just you. Okay. Do you hate it? No, I love it. Okay, good, because I'm not stopping. Um, Well, it has been so lovely to have you on the podcast.
2: This is the right way to start a week, because from here, I got a whole week to think about you guys and uh, catch up on some more of your books.
3: That's and, so sweet. Uh, <laughs> You're I'm so nice. Everybody, please savor this precious episode with John Ham and I'll
1: tell you what, John, you can I think I can speak for both of us when I say you can haul our loads up the levee any day of the week.
3: I concur. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to yet another episode of In Bed with Nick and Megan. Featuring the very, very sweet and kind John Hamm. Good night. Good night. In Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts.
0: Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently. Acapella.edu.